I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present the Liturgy Guys. Exactly. Hey, hey, guys! This is like the first time we've done an in-person uh, podcast in a while. I know, and we have a live studio audience for the first time ever. Hey. And for the first time ever, it's not a figment of our imagination. It's like real people, That's like right. that legit wanted to be here. There are two awesome things going on in my life at this very moment. <laughs> I thought you were going to say there are two awesome people. In- <laughs> well, there, that, there's that too. We have a live studio audience. One, two. We stopped at White Castle on the way back from Aww. Milwaukee today. Yes. So I am currently digesting four White Castle cheeseburgers. Way, way back from where? From Conrad Schmidt Studios, oh, yes. looking at their beautiful... Yes, I like your priorities. Can, can we get the yeah. audience to give us like a whoop whoop? Just to prove you're here. Yeah, yeah they're here. It's legit. <laughs> I remember Monsignor Mannion who founded the institute used to go out to dinner with us and he would at the end he would say liturgy are you for it or against it and I'd say for it he goes okay now it's a tax write off so because we had discussed business at that dinner so. <laughs> ooh I might steal that yeah, yeah that exactly <laughs> alright okay Chris, thanks for coming everybody that was that was a good episode and uh, <laughs> thanks for coming all the way out here from uh, you didn't even push the record button yet though yeah, it's recording. Oh, okay. Gosh, you made me so nervous. <laughs> well, for the people at home, our studio audience is who? We have our online master's degree students, right, who are mm-hmm. here for their one-week immersion. I think you've been keeping them well-fed and busy. Is this true? Is this true? Yeah. Okay. Yes. okay. And then some of our summer students, regular summer students are here as well. Are you well-fed and busy, too? Mostly yeah. busy, Leslie yes. well <laughs> I would say it's an international crowd. We have Peru represented. We have Canada, right? Is that what it's called? Canadians are from Canada. Yes, Canada is represented. And Scottish Canada. Yeah, Scotland as well. Okay, in, so we're in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris, Chris, you have something uh, special planned for us. Yes, uh, uh, we do many different things on the uh, Liturgy Guys podcast, but now and again we have a Liturgy Guys quiz, and that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to do a quiz. I'm not happy about that. Oh, you're going to be less happy when you hear the topic. It's going to be 20th century ecclesiastical (laughs) architecture. Yes, I knew that was coming. Wait, what? This is loaded. (laughs) Wait, okay, okay. Which, which edition that you need did this? Was this? I'm just going to go into the website and check it out. Yes, yeah. You mentioned Autoramus, and uh, I don't know if you caught this last time. We were, uh, so these quizzes originally run in Autoramus, and both Jesse and Dennis admitted the last time that we should really start to read that. Then we'd know the answers yeah, to the quiz. These are already published, but yeah, we were too lazy to read them. So. But they don't read it, yeah. even though they're both contributors. But uh, mm-hmm. anyway. No, this, uh, this quiz is going to be on... Um, uh, a topic that I think many of you will like, and it will be on the uh, modern liturgical movement. Oh, do you have okay. A, do, you have, do you have a cricket button? Calm the down, M- everybody. MLM. <laughs> <laughs> Can I define a movement, Chris? <laughs> well, well hey, I'll uh, ask this, the question. Hey, I just want to let you know there's a family podcast, <laughs> so let's keep it clean. All right. But, you know, I was thinking that, you know, Dennis, you've, you've taught a course, or this course, a time or two or three or four or five or on ten. liturgical yep. movement. Yep. Uh, and Jesse, 
how many times have you taught this course? None. None, yeah. <laughs> I know. So I thought maybe to, uh, to help uh, level the playing field, maybe we could give uh, uh, you a lifeline or two. Sure. Because I or think in, in the room are some, some students who have gone through this course, the, yeah. the liturgical movement. And so uh, I think it would, be, it would be fair, don't you think, that uh, on occasion... Uh, you could uh, you could seek help from uh, from the students in the in the, I in think the that'd room. Be, that'd yeah. be delightful. Yeah. Do I get so, any lifelines? Well, I don't know. That that's that's the you point taught that remains them to the be classes you taught it. Yeah, I teach is, it slightly this differently. This is true. So. This is true. So how many how many lifelines uh, should Jesse get? Well, how many questions are there? There's ten questions. So split between each? both of us. Yes, so five each. Yeah. So we each get five. So I should uh, get two and a half lifelines. Yeah, like six for him. <laughs> Let's start with one. Okay. Is that all right? Two. 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 All right. Jesse gets two lifelines, all right? All right. You, uh, you ready? So all answers are final. <clears throat> There's no uh, grousing, complaining about the answer. Don't look off the sheet either. Don't okay? speak to me. Speak to the microphone. Oh, sorry. Don't look off the sheet either. You should right? get two folders like in grade school so we can, can't yeah, see Yeah, we it. should. <laughs> all right. So who gets the first question? Well, let's uh, you two do uh, some rock, paper, scissors or something. Jesse, you can go first. What? You all can right. Go first. Sure. I'll go all right. first. All right. I mean, we will go first. Well, no, you that's only right. You, one, you only have one lifeline. I'm going right. to use it right away. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, the first one is a multiple guess uh, question. Right. Okay. The original liturgical movement, as its name implies, desires to move or change something. What is it that the movement's key figures wished to change? Here are your possible answers. A people's generally unfavorable opinions about liturgists, B, the mass, C, the people who attend liturgical services, D, liturgical dances, E, liturgical law and tradition. Which of those did the original liturgical movement wish to change? Uh, I think I got this one. D. Don't. <laughs> oh. uh, the people, I don't remember which letter that was. That's the right answer. That's that's our that's our bell. That Thank is you. our lame bell tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. So Dennis uh, and you all, you'll remember certainly reading this uh, little uh, pamphlet from uh, from Collegeville in the 1920s or 30s. 1930. What is the liturgical movement? And it says, "quote The word movement, rightly understood, to indicate an endeavor to bring about a change. The false notion in this matter was due principally to a misunderstanding as to the." subject of the proposed change. What is really being striven for is a change in the spiritual orientation of the faithful. All you had to say is you're winning right now, Jesse. You didn't have to go into all of that. <laughs> well, it's an important point, though, right? Okay. Because I think many people think that the liturgical movement is about, or principally, was about changing rites and changing architecture and changing vestments and changing music and changing all these other things. When, in fact, the original, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the Founders, they didn't want to change that so much as they did wanted to, to move the people and change the people so that they could enter in more deeply into the liturgy. Now, in about the 50s, they started also to change uh, the rites, but the original intention was to change the people. All right, so let me uh, write down the score here. How many do you have, Jesse? Three. Jesse, three. <laughs> and, uh, and how many do I have, Chris? Dennis, you are about to have, well, let's see. Uh, you are scoreless zero. currently. Mm -hmm. Currently okay. scoreless. Yep. All right. And you still have your uh, lifeline to use. And I still have some beer and you left. you still have some beer great. left. All right, Dennis, number yes. two. Number, number two. two. Number two. Number two. Number two. 
what event is most commonly associated with the beginning of the modern liturgical movement? Is it A, Dom Prosper Garanger's reestablishment of the Benedictine Priory of Salem in 1833? Is it B, the First Vatican Council, 1869 and 70? C, Pius XI's 1928 Apostolic Constitution Divini Cultus, on divine worship? D, Pius XII's 1947 Encyclical Mediator Dei? Or E, the Second Vatican Council, 1962 to 1965? Which of those is most commonly associated with the beginning of the modern liturgical movement? Okay. Don't yell out an answer. Does everybody know the answer? Does everybody in the room know the answer to this? Yes? Okay. I think Jesse even knows the answer to this one. Yeah. It's letter A. Letter the, A. The refounding of Solem. Yes. That is, uh, there are other possible answers. Sometimes people pin it with uh, Pius X's 1903 uh, uh, Motu proprio, Trilocitudini, <laughs> thank you. Or uh, Lambert Baudouin's uh, 1909, when he busted and broke into the room and said, I've just discovered the essence of the liturgy or yeah. something like that. The liturgy that. is the center I of the Christian life. I just did the same life. thing to you the other day. That's, wow. Yeah, yeah. 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 your modern day Lambert Baudouin. Like mine's, I guess. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you all remember uh, Don Prosper Garager was a diocesan priest of Le Mans. And something he, French. Uh, opened up the uh, uh, the abbey. It was a priory, I guess, at the time of, uh, of Salem, which had been closed by the uh, French Revolution. And so he gathered some other like-minded uh, folks around him and opened it up. And they found started. a donor and named himself the <laughs> abbot. Pretty sweet deal. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. It's a good story. Well, Love it. The superior, anyway. Uh, the uh, what are they? What's, what are they famous for? Gregorian chant. Gregorian chant, Baby. that's right. And uh, what else? He was a, uh, um, an ultramontanist. Uh, an Montanist, yes. Right? So there was all these Gallican liturgies going around, which were you know, 300 plus years after the Council of Trent. Mm -hmm. They still quite were using that uh, Tridentine Missal. And so his idea was to actually celebrate the, uh, I think, it, what did they say? He, was, he became chaplain to some uh, nuns who were from Rome, and he discovered that this Roman Missal he'd never seen before in his life. And so this is, uh, in part, what uh, drove him back to, uh, uh, to Rome. Right. Ultramontane means over the mountains, right? Over the mountains to Italy, where they did things right, apparently. Over the mountains. But you can imagine, oh my France gosh. had for a long time been Wrong using movement. their particular missiles. And then somebody comes along and says, mm -mm, don't use that anymore. Could you imagine trying to convince every diocese in the U.S. to stop using the Roman missile as we have it and start using some other missile? People would, you know, they'd rebel. And they fought. The bishops fought that for a long time until finally the Roman Missal in its noble simplicity conquered. Yeah, and they say by the time he died, 1875-ish or something like that, on the whole, most of the diocese had come around. And maybe some of you remember this too. One bishop had like five different missiles in his diocese, in his it's own like a diocese. battery of missiles. Yeah, so can you imagine you're the, the bishop and you have to go do confirmation somewhere? Like, Which missile am I using tonight? So, yeah. Anyway. Okay, very good. Uh, one to one. Let's hear it for our contestants. <laughs> thank you, thank you, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Start, thank you. All, right. All right, let's keep going. Uh, number three, this one's to you, Jesse. True, this is a true or false. True or false. The founders of the modern liturgical movement thought it necessary to downplay the importance of the ordained priest in order to elevate the common priesthood of the faithful and thus facilitate the latter's active participation. Is that true false. or false? That is correct. That is false. That's so totally false. Thank you. All right. And uh, one uh, place. We can't find our real bell, so. Uh, one place where you can read this is um, 
actually you were su- you were uh, comparing yourself to Dom Lambert Baldwin. I always uh, do. Yeah, always do. So uh, he's 1873 to 1960, and he wrote uh, one of Dennis's favorite books, Liturgy: The Life of the Church. Mm-hmm. Right? And he says in there, the superabundant source of all supernatural life is the sacerdotal power of the high priest of the new covenant, but the sanctifying power of Jesus Christ does not exercise here below, except Except through through. the ministry of a visible hierarchy. Thus liturgical piety derives its transcendent character above all from what we can call this hierarchical character. Right, so the whole first part of this book is about the priesthood, the priesthood of Jesus Christ and uh, and how the entirety of his power as priest, prophet, and king has been given to the church to exercise on earth so that the church is not just merely a human institution, but the continuing action of Christ in the world. You can give a four-hour homily on the first three sentences of that book. It's amazing. Yeah. So, good. Good job, Jesse. Yeah, yeah this too is... No a- thanks to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of your easiest quizzes yet, so far. Well, so far, so yeah. far. But that too, I think, is a common misunderstanding too, is that you know the downplaying of the ordained priesthood uh, for some you know, elevation of the common priesthood, whereas both of them need to be uh, you know, rightfully uh, appreciated. Okay, so uh, now to you, uh, Dennis, we'll see, how, we'll see how you like this one. See if this it's still easy. easy or not, yeah. Okay. Uh, number four, so which liturgical movement figure claimed that, quote, many years will have to pass before this type of reformed liturgical edifice can appear purified of the squalidness brought by time, newly resplendent with dignity and fitting order, end quote. Wow. Who said that? Christopher Is Carson. it? The, no, I didn't okay. say that. Uh, Pope, you literally just said that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, a, Paul, Pope Paul VI, B, Annabale Bonini, C, Pope Pius X, D, Louis Bouillet, E, Romano Gardini. Hmm. Which liturgical movement talked about much time having to elapse before the edifice could become resplendent, purified of its squalidness? Wow. Well, uh, I don't know this, but let me see if I can tease it out. I don't think it's Paul VI because he was doing it, right? He wasn't waiting for anything. I don't think it's Pius X because he wouldn't use those kinds of words. I wouldn't think, uh uh-oh, are you trying to trick me? Anybody here know the answer? You do? Okay. No, you don't get that. I'm not <laughs> taking the answer. I'm just asking if they know the answer. Oh just keep goodness. talking. Just keep uh, talking. It, it sounds talk it out. kind of like one of those edgy, non-official documents. It could be Bunini-ish. It could be Guardini-ish. Oh, gosh. I'm not cheating. Um, <laughs> can you read the answer? The answers again? Please? Can you read the answer? <laughs> can you repeat the question? <laughs> Is it uh, uh, Paul VI, Annabella no, Bonini, Pius X, no. Louis Bouillet, maybe. Romano Gardini? You know, Bouillet was sort of cranky, so it could have been he him. Was, he was cranky. Yeah. One might as well put Dennis on the list. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say, okay. because I don't know, I'll say Bouillet, Louis Bouillet. Is that your final answer? It's the only one I got, man. <clears throat> Is that a or a ding? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's actually, it's, who is it? Pius X. No way. Yeah, yeah. But right, I mean, he who was would cranky th- too. I guess he was. Cranky. Yeah, maybe the <laughs> yeah, maybe the crankiness is magnified. Only the liturgical movement figures. What document? Where did he say that? Okay, so in uh, uh, 1911, he wrote Divino Afflatu, right, and that's when he changed some of the the 
so, uh, the Psalter around, right? You remove the Laudate Psalms. But in that he says, uh, it will be clear to everybody that by what we have here decreed, we have taken the first step to the emendation of the Roman breviary and the Missal, okay? But then two years later, ab hinc duos annos, he says, basically, we've been busy and haven't gotten around <laughs> to this. And so it's going to take. I know you're paid. <laughs> I know you're It's paid. going to take a couple more. It's going to take longer time before the uh, uh, liturgical edifice can be purified hmm. of its squalor. Wow. Well, I've never yeah. read that document. I don't, yeah. uh, I don't teach that yeah. one. Yeah. Divino Flato is probably the more common one in this. Um, I know, actually, it, it was uh, in this last class we had that I noticed that for the very first time. Yeah, you wouldn't think it was Pius the the tenth who was, who was saying that, but again, I too I think that's important that you know you think of the modern liturgical movement starts with or not start with, but you know gets uh, pinned upon uh, for good or ill. You know, Pius the twelfth and Bunini Paul the sixth. No, no, this is this is going back to. Well, let's focus Pius on what's important. That you are ahead. Jesse. I know I'm winning. Yes. All right, Jesse has two. Dennis has one, and you're we're gonna on. Need, you're going to need that for the bell. <laughs> let's see. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I know the class will know this one, but okay. Well, that's all okay. Which know. liturgical movement figure did Pope Benedict the Sixteenth claim to have quote perhaps the most fruitful theological idea of our century end quote? Okay, was it Romano Gardini, B Pius Parsh, C the cranky Louis Bouillet, <laughs> D Hans Urs von Balthasar, or E Otto Kasel? So which of those okay. did Benedict XVI claim to have had the most fruitful theological idea of the 20th century? Can I ask the group to sing the uh, Jeopardy song? No, I want sure. the group to tell me the answer. I'm going to pull the, pull the audience. I know I know. Kevin Magus knows. Yeah, Odo Kazel. Yeah, Odo Kazel. Odo Kazel. That is the worst bell in the world. I thought that was. It is. It is. It, it, it gets the Nobel Prize. Uh, <laughs> all right, so what do you remember about uh, Odo Kozel? Oh, Other than he died right before he was about to sing the Exultet. So he has this little thing called mystery theology, right? So this mystery in the present where it's not just uh, the grace of Christ or anything like that. It's, it's like the whole plan of the mystery is somehow, somehow, this is what he doesn't really go on to explain, is somehow actually made present in the liturgy, especially in the Mass and the Eucharist. So this mystery theology is what Pope Benedict was uh, talking about. And if you, I know you don't like long quotes on the podcast, but here's the little bit longer quote. Good, I need to go get another beer then. Oh, you'll be fine, you'll be <laughs> fine, just sit tight. Our age, he says, has been called the century of the church. It could just as well be called the century of the liturgical and sacramental movement. Perhaps the most fruitful theological idea of our century, the mystery theology of Odo Kazel, belongs to the field of sacramental theology. And one can probably say without exaggeration that not since the end of the patristic era has the theology of the sacraments experienced such a flowering as was granted to it in this century in connection with Kazel's ideas." End quote. So good job, yeah. Jesse. Yeah, another beer. Just yeah, now he's on his second beer too. <laughs> Dennis, he's going to be slowing down here before too. Yeah. Long, so don't you worry about I'll that. Slurp my water. All right. So Jesse is now up to three, and Dennis uh, is at one. Okay. <laughs> so where are Classic. we? Classic. Right, number. Yeah. Okay. Number. Oh, number six. This will be an easy one for you, Dennis. Okay. I hope so. On the heights above the Bavarian town of Rothenfels stands a castle. 
Which liturgical movement figure discussed liturgy, culture, and social issues with college students in this castle? Was it Dietrich von Hildebrand, Maurus Volter, Columba Marmion, Romano Gardini, or Eidelvans Herwegen? Hmm. They probably all did, but not at that castle. Um, von Hildebrand, Walter, Columba Marmion, Romano Gardini, or Eidelvans Herwegen? Are you giving me a little help no, there, Chris? No, I think no, you no, are. no. You know what? I'll say Romano Gardini. Yes. <laughs> that's, uh, let's see what the notes say. Is that here. right? Is that right? Oh, it is right. Oh, ring the, ring, the, ring the glass. Do you even know the answers to these? Well, I did once upon a time. <laughs> All right, so Gardini uh, was born in uh, Italy, but lived most of his life in uh, Germany. He, uh, after he wrote this uh, fancy little book, uh, The Spirit of the Liturgy, and caught everybody's attention, uh, he got this big uh, job at, uh, after, yeah, after he wrote uh, The Spirit of the Liturgy, he got this big time job. He was job still a graduate at, student at the at time. The, so. At the Center for Beauty and Culture. Oh, yeah. Actually at go. the uh, uh, University of Berlin, at, uh, it was the, the chair of Catholic Studies and Worldview or something like wow. that. Uh, but as an aside, he was, also, uh, he was a youth minister in his uh, off hours. So he would go Who to isn't? this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he'd go to this castle uh, in Rothenfels and he'd discuss this while sitting on black cubes. Uh, yeah, that's in true. the, uh, in the uh, chapel. Anyway, yeah. in, uh, in uh, uh, Ratzinger's um, book, it's one of these interview books with uh, Peter Seyfold, uh, he talks about this. He and his brother Georg were passing through Rothenfels, and he says, uh, we now have to go up to that castle where Gardini was bringing young people for decades. It was, of course, highly fitting that who should walk out then but Romano Gardini himself. We go up there, and what's going on? Gardini walks out the castle gate. He laughs, laughs, laughs. Uh, it was like a dream. He showed himself to be most delighted. Gardini says, it's strange who you bump into just because you're there. And then we had a little chat. And so oh. that's uh, Pope Benedict's it's recollection. Is very strange of, who you bump into? This is very much like oh, the ways of Pope Benedict I talks. love a good Pope Benedict impression. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. I did that for you, Jesse, even though you're winning. Yeah, but not only by one. Only by one. Okay, so Jesse uh, has three. Dennis has two. And we're on to question number seven. All right. How you guys doing? You need a beer? Nope. No, you're good. Nope. Okay. No, that's a podcast. I took a power nap right before this. Plus, I'm still digesting White Castle cheeseburgers. So yeah. that will that will be my See, uh, Dennis, reason for annulment. Dennis never even drinks beer. I rarely. Be, and this this little be, line. The now that's a podcast. Let's be it's honest. Him, there's not know? a lot of digesting happening with White Castle. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just say it's passing through. <laughs> uh, number seven. Number seven. Uh, this is a true and false. To many minds today, devotion to the liturgy and service to those in need are mutually exclusive. You could do one or the other, but not both. True or false, this perceived divorce between liturgical worship and social action finds its roots in the liturgical movement. I'm gonna say false. Okay, that's right, it's false. Well, how I know? Why? Because you saw the sheet? No, because Virgil Michael and Dorothy Day got together and had a little powwow together. And they were like, blah, 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 blah. They were like, blah, blah, blah. They were like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's exactly I'm what it sounded like. I'm taking that point back. I'm going to take that point back. <laughs> yes, take it back. I didn't say that take at all. What? Okay. Did all you know right. that Dorothy Day spoke on this campus? And she was the first laywoman ever to speak on a Catholic seminary campus in the United States. Yeah. In this city. No, ever. <laughs> I'm just kidding. In this country. 
She says, you cannot receive the Blessed Sacrament without becoming sensitive to the inspirations of the Holy Spirit. And these inspirations are to be put into practice. We can link up lit liturgy and sociology, in other words. So yeah, that's a good example. And uh, what's, the, what's the famous syllogism from Virgil Michael about Pius X says? A Do I get a point for this? No. No. <laughs> Oh, Jesse's suddenly annoyed with that question. <laughs> Just a joke, Jesse. Uh, the true Christian spirit is acquired through the liturgy, and social regeneration requires the true Christian spirit, so therefore... The conclusion, the liturgy is the indispensable source, source of social regeneration. regeneration. Good, excellent. All right. All things I could have said right now, but I didn't. You just said blah, blah, blah. See, it didn't <laughs> you know just I mean. say that. So I got an extra okay. point, and you lost uh, a point. Yeah. Exactly. You know that okay. I know. You know that I know. All right. We're not competitive, yeah, we really, do. Actually, all. I know you know that. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so uh, run, running out of questions. So, Excellent. Yeah, I'm sure you're happy about that, too. Uh, number eight is uh, who, so this is to you, right? Yes, it is. Who, who wrote the first encyclical devoted entirely to the topic of the liturgy? Oh. Pius X. Nope. Pius XI. Nope. Pius XII. Yep. Pius XIII. <laughs> Maybe in John, his mother's basement in Montana. There's John Paul II. A draft. Nope. Benedict XVI. No. Okay, so what's your answer? My answer is Pius XII. Mediator Day, 1947. Seven, seven. Is he right? Of course he is. Yeah. Oh, that was pretty easy. All right. Well, he got two true and falses, so I deserve one easy. Yeah, one. you do. Yeah. You do. Anything else you want to say about Mediator Day? Yes, it's classic, what I call the Pius XII two-step. He's like, I love what you're doing, everybody in the liturgy, but I don't love the other things you're doing. Oh, this stuff is really great, but you're also doing this other stuff that taints it with error, and uh, one would be straying from the path if they did this, but I don't want you to think that you're not supposed to do anything. So he constantly walked that nice middle, and he, he chastised the people who were resisting liturgical reform, and he also chastised the people that were going too far. Plus, it's a big, smart document full of all kinds of theology. I, I do that same two-step with my wife. I say, you know, you are an amazing, amazing mother to our children. You're a terrible wife, but an amazing <laughs> Is that wow. kind of the same thing? Kind of, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're lucky you can edit that out. <laughs> but no, you know, that, I'm lucky she doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I was thinking that, we, I remember talking about this in the last class about Mediatra Day, because I, I hear people say about Sacrosanctum Concilium, there's so much ambiguity in it, and there's so much... There is no ambiguity clarity. in Pius XII ever. But Mediatra Day, I get done with that thing, and I don't... I'm not sure what he's trying to, to say, because it's, it's this two-step of, um, you know, oh. this but not that. I'll that read it together this. with you someday, Chris. Right. <laughs> but you know, the interesting thing about Media Today, it comes out in 1947, right? So what year was Vatican II called? Uh, well, it began in 62. John the 23rd announced it in 58. Okay, so even you're talking about 52, that's 15 years. Ahead of so the people think Vatican II is just like this new age, and Pius the Twelfth is the the last guy with the you know the big carried around on a chair and the ostrich feathers. Fifteen years ago, you know, so many of the media today quotes are taken word for word into Sacrosanctum Concilium, and many of the ideas that were developed under his pontificate become the normative ideas for Vatican II. So I often think reading Pius the Twelfth is actually the proper hermeneutical lens for understanding Vatican II. Not what you experienced as a five-year-old in 1974, right, Chris? Yes, exactly. Yep. Right. Good. Okay. You were five in 1974. Chris was. I was not. Okay, you were four. much older yeah. than I am. All right. So now we have a uh, uh, Jesse with four, Dennis with three. Uh, Jesse. So this question is for you. Which liturgical movement figure has on his or her tombstone? I mean by that, I'm not giving it away here. 
Quote, peace is the fruit of justice. Peace is the fruit of justice on the tombstone. Is it A, servant of God, Dorothy Day? Is it Monsignor Martin Hellriegel from St. Louis? Is it servant of God, Catherine DeHuck Doherty from Canada? Is it D, Reynold Hillenbrand, or is it E, Virgil Michael? That's a hard one. Uh, I know I get to poll one more time, but uh, I am going to go on my own here. Okay. Just to make it a little more fair. My gut is telling me Dorothy Day. Yeah. That's not right. (laughs) (laughs) You said, yeah. You got to work on your gut, Jesse. No, no, no. But it's uh, peace is the fruit of justice could be, you can imagine any one of these people saying that. Maybe not Martin Hellriegel so much. I mean, he probably would say that, but I mean, the rest of them, (laughs) the rest of them are, you know, you you can imagine them all saying that. So it's not uh, Dorothy Day. Who else would it be? Do you remember who Captain DeHuck Doherty is? Does the audience know? Is whom? It is. He's buried right here in this campus. Yes. So if you uh, if you haven't done so already, he's buried on 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 this campus. So you walk, you know, past the chapel, uh, off what what is this uh, main street? Principal Avenue. Yeah, and just keep going and right. Well, I guess you run into the Jesuit. uh, Yeah. There's a big bronze angel with a trumpet. That's the cemetery. Yeah. Hill and in there. And the it's one of these tombstones that lies just barely above the surface. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you might go uh, visit his uh, tombstone. So you mentioned him before. He was rector here at... Uh, at the age of 31, Cardinal Mundelein appointed him the rector. Yeah. And he was very forward-thinking. He had the students actually celebrating the liturgy at the right times of day. And, and chanting. Chanting. And we had an event a number of years ago where he invited the last kind of three seminarians who remembered being a seminarian under him. And they talked about the chant. They said he was such an amazing preacher that they would hang out in the sacristy and listen to him, even though they'd already been to mass that day. Like they just couldn't get enough of Monsignor uh, Hillenbrand is quite amazing. Yeah, very good. But he was a little too forward thinking for a lot of people in Chicago and uh, they forced him out from his, uh, his position of authority. And he left and he said to the seminarians, the job of a parish priest is to be in a parish and goodbye. He didn't complain. He didn't moan. He didn't gripe. He just peacefully went on his way. And, uh, Introduced all kinds of liturgical, uh, beautiful things at his parish in Winnetka, Sacred Heart. Right. Thank you for that. Oh, sure. All right. Welcome. I should have written this quiz. All right, let's go. You could have written this quiz. <laughs> Except for the one I didn't get. All okay. right, this is my Sorry. last chance to tie it up. Last I hope you have a tiebreaker, Chris. Well, you're going to need it because this one is pretty easy. Dang uh, it. The Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy, echoing Pius X, placed which as the, quote, aim to be considered before all else, end quote, in the restoration and promotion of the sacred liturgy. Do you, do you want me to the give you the options? Ga- the audience is like is, uh, grimacing at the easiness of that question. I, I, hope, I hope it's right. So your options are sacred music, active Come participation, <laughs> lay ministry, frequent reception of Holy Communion, or catechesis. Or black cubes or to sit on. Or Bouye. <laughs> or Matt Marr songs. Um, music. I think it must be. Participazione attiva, yes, as is. it would have been in the original Italian, active participation. Yeah, so uh, so the original was in, uh, Jesse, in which uh, letter? Trial as a latitudine. God bless okay. you. From 1903, November 22nd, and then 60 years exactly to the day, November 22nd, 1963. Which Council- weren't no coincidence, the, right? Chris? That's right. The council fathers uh, approve 
at like what, 2,714 to four. The, the Who scheme, were those whatever four? We're going to chase yeah. them down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Paul the sixth promulgated it on December 4th, 1963. Yeah, but that basically just lifted that line right out of trial isolation. Did you notice Chris wasn't using his notes for all those dates? And he's pretty impressive that way. So there it is. Uh, it looks like the um, right of questions. A we need a tie. No, this is good, Jesse. This is now Should we're like and, we're comrades in arms, and we're it's a tie, and everything's fine. Peace is the fruit of justice. Uh, all right, I guess. Yeah. Or do you have That's a good. tiebreaker for us? Well, I do, but you're not going to like it because it's kind of. There's just one question. Yeah, there's just one question. But whoever answers it first. Yeah. Oh. I got to see if I can phrase this rightly. You can hear a pin drop mm. in this room. Yeah, yeah. You can hear a dude drink a beer in this room. Well, let's see. How can I phrase this? Now that's a podcast. Hmm. Uh, hang on, hang on. I'm thinking yeah. here. Jesse can edit out the awkward. What sound. is the okay. most powerful witness that the liturgical movement has been successful? What? what is the most powerful is evidence <laughs> that the liturgical movement has been successful? Like an actual thing or conceptually, theoretically? No, this is an actual thing. As actual as anything can be and will be forever. You mean What's like the, the strongest transformation of the human soul by divine life? Yes, that is correct. Sorry, Jesse. I can see the transformation of your soul by divine life, though. So. Yeah. Don't, don't look at the transformation. So I'll, share, I'll share that with you. It's, Pope uh, St. Pius X, Pope St. John Twenty-Third, Pope St. Paul VI, Pope St. John Paul II, Blessed Columba Marmion, Venerable Pius XII, Servant of God, Don Prosper Garanger, Servant of God, Romana Garditi, and Servant of God, Dorothy Day. So I think that's... And they all the, said that? Well, that's, I think these uh, liturgical movement uh, figures and their... Sanctity and holiness, and, and those are the ones, of course, we know of, and hopefully, hopefully, uh, those of us uh, uh, in the room is is the the real evidence. You know, not that, you know, the time of the Easter Vigil is you know after dark now, or that you know we use Roman chasubles or whatever. Yeah. But, well, uh, Dennis, I concede. Uh, I concede. No, 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 no. And the last on that list is editor in chief of Adoramus. Diocesan Worship Office Director in Lacrosse and Quizmaster. Quizmaster. Chris yeah. Carstens. Thank you guys. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you all. I think we're gonna we're, we're gonna take a live liturgy question. Is that oh really? Do we have one? So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the Church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the Church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the Magisterium, but it's a dynamic Orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? This is Kunigunda, part three. Yeah. Come on. Yay, Kunigunda. Hello, Liturgy guys. Hello, um, Kunigunda. No, I'm, I'm actually Hillary, but... Um, <laughs> Hello, <laughs> Kunigunda. Thank you, Kunigunda. All right. 
Um, we, we'd like to know, uh, when should we actually be standing um, after the offertory? Because we noticed that maybe when incense happens, we're already standing before our response, but uh, maybe some dioceses don't stand, uh, or they just kind of rise as the priest is speaking, or maybe, um, as is done here, everybody waits and then stands together afterwards. So You're talking about after the orate fratres, right? The prayer yes. brethren? Yeah, okay. Thanks, Gunagunda. Chris? Go ahead, Dennis. Chris? <laughs> <laughs> I know why I we do, do it. I but, do. That uh, was good Yeah, Chris. Yeah. Uh, all right. So um, at the part of what's called the Orate Fratres, or pray, brethren, pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours, uh, it seems uh, what the rubric says um, is that the priest says, pray, beloved, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. And then the rubric says the people rise and reply. Mm -hmm. and then they stand and say, may the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands, etc." And it is confusing. So in the sacramentary, the, what, the 1985 sacramentary, uh, if you all might remember this, 10 years ago, we would stay seated and we would say this response, may the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands, and then we would stand. Unless you were using incense, in which case the thoroughfare would come out and he'd, you know, everybody would stand and you'd get incensed with incense, not with anger, and then he'd go away and then the priest would say, Arate fratres. Um, now, so there's three sort of potential places where you can stand. Um, so I guess we could say the, the rubric is actually the people stand after the priest commands, right? So it's not like an oremus, that's an orate, it's this command to stand. Uh, or you'd be standing, uh, if incense is being used, you'd be standing before that happens. So those seem to be the two places that the rubrics envision. So maybe the next question is why? Why would it be there? Well, you know, the Rate Fratres, in many of the liturgical movement scholars thought that was one of the most important moments in the Mass because the priest, as the head of the mystical body, was about to take the prayers and petitions of the members of the mystical body into the Holy of Holies in the sense of to the face of God. And he, A, needed their help, but B, he's inviting them to activate, in a sense, their baptismal priesthood. So a priest stands before God. So they rise and then they uh, make that their share in their priestly prayer. And they say, may the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands because they know they're not going to the Holy of Holies. They're not going behind that curtain. It was dangerous business in the Temple of Solomon to go in the Holy of Holies. And so the priest needs their help, but also he takes their prayers uh, in there. So to rise and then make that reply is much better, I think, than this kind of murmuring while you're standing and shuffling and have pe people are up and down and whatever. So uh, it's a little awkward as as you can tell, if you're not used to it. I'm the only person at Benedictine College who waits until uh, I rise <laughs> to reply. So I look like the grump who won't stand when everybody else stands, but I just formed what about unity and worship, Dennis? Well, you know. But I, I have a question, because we, we've done a podcast about postures before. So what does it say about the posture if we can do it already standing or stand and then reply? Does, is the posture less important? Well, sitting is the posture of receptivity, correct, Chris? If we remember this from what the bishop said, and standing is the posture of action, right? And so this is, an, this is really an active moment. If the people in the pews are really saying, I'm going to give you my mind, my heart, my will, my, my freedom, my wounds, my strengths. I'm going to give you my entire self to take into the presence of God so we can be transformed by divine life. That's not a ho-hum, let me sit here. Oh, yeah, yeah, why don't you go do that? You know, it's like ringing the bell for the maid to come. No, it's I'm part of this uh, mystical body, and I'm going to take that active role in it. 
So if there's incense, sit down after you do the bow, and then wait, <laughs> wait for the. <laughs> See, you're just project. confusing it. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. No, I think the the third option of standing after your response that just is a mismatched sign to the reality that's going on. The other two seem to be consonant with the reality taking place. Now, which one is better? I don't know, but I think they're both they're both getting to that that sentiment. I uh, it's in one of the Psalms where it says, uh, God, uh, his anger would have raged against them had Moses not withstood him in the breach. And kind of, I, I, I try to remember that, that this is your, your pontifical moment to, to meet God in the breach between heaven and earth and to intercede on behalf of the world. So the priest gives you this command to arate, and you stand up and you say, here I am, I'm ready. Not to mention the rubric says that people rise and reply. Yeah. Not they reply and rise or rise and reply at the same yeah. time. But it's good to know the reason behind the rubric. But if you don't know the reason, do what the rubric says, right? All right. Good. Well, uh, Hillary, I hope that answers your question. And if you want to ask us a question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys or show up to our campus uh, some random week during the summer. And Chris may be here and you can submit a question on your own. Thank you, and God bless. I just... Oh, yeah, wait. Thank you, all of you, for being here. So yeah. Can we get one more L.I. whoop whoop? Yeah. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, this could be you. Sign up at liturgicalinstitute.edu. The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary of the Lake, Adoremus, Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy, and the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College. Now that's a podcast. <laughs>